Welcome back to the show, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Inevitable Mike, the host of the Comics and Pop-Tarts podcast channel. And tonight, I have an awesome guest with you. You might have remembered our recording with Leanne, who was on the Hard to Spell uh, anthology. Well, here is the organizer himself, Mr. Russell Nolte. How are you doing tonight, sir? Thanks for having me. I'm doing hey, uh, thanks good. Thanks for coming on. Awesome, man. Awesome. I understand you did a little bit of traveling recently. Yeah, I've been uh, I've been all over the place. I went to Austin, and then we did WonderCon, and so I feel like this is the first day that I've been home in almost two weeks. And I used to travel like this quite a bit, but not since beginning of 2020. And I forgot just how exhausting it is. <laughs> with uh, with cons coming back, hopefully for good outside the. Um or behind the purview of the, the COVID experience, which took two and a half years of all of our lives. How is, uh, how was, how was the feel at WonderCon? Was it the same? Was it half? Were people still being cautious? Uh, was it like normal interaction? Are we back to socialism? Not like, not like socialism, the political thing, but are we back to like a good sociable scale where people aren't as cautious as they used to be? Yeah. So, um, I did Salt Lake City last year in September, and I feel like that was my inoculation against shots. Like, you know, they used to have like, um, sorry, like cons, you know, they used to have like chicken, chicken pox parties and stuff. So like, <laughs> uh, it was a lot. It was a lot. Uh, I broke down on the floor. I like ran away. I like had to leave my table on Sunday from having panic attacks. Um, but like that was, but then I didn't get COVID during it. Like, it, like right. it was a big, like there was no one wearing a mask basically. And we were in Utah, which only had a 50% vaccination rate, but like, I didn't get sick. I thought for sure I was going to get sick. So like, uh, that was my big, like scary one. And then I did, uh, 20 books Vegas in November and it was like a really small writer's conference and I didn't get sick there either. Uh, and so then I did a small convention in Pasadena in January and uh and it was like fun like the people using uh covid protocols and like they were chit-chatting and talking it wasn't probably considerably smaller than uh previous years i've done it but like people were a little bit more relaxed and i was relaxed because like people were serious about following covid protocols and then WonderCon was like it was large it wasn't probably it wasn't as large as it had been previous years but like you know it was three days and there were a lot of people there and all of them were, were wearing masks. And, uh, it, 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 it the, but that one, I felt like the first day people were very tense cause they hadn't been around so many people so fast. Uh, they were kind of curt and, uh, skittish and, uh, a little rude, honestly, uh, that first half of that first day, but come about four o'clock, uh, they are there. They they stopped tensing up, and we were able to have some good conversations. Started joking around, and uh, and then the rest of the weekend worked pretty well. So I think there was like the there there was definitely a group who like this was their inoculation event. I could feel and like they were freaking out about it a little bit. Um, but I mean, overall, I had a really great time. Uh, I brought in an assistant. I was able to leave the booth and. Uh, and walk around and really, really enjoyed myself. Awesome, man. I was listening to a little bit of some of the, some of the WonderCon coverage on uh, the uh, Fat Man Beyond podcast last night uh, as they were getting done. And I heard it was a really big event. I know a bunch of people who went, had a lot of fun. Fortunately, I can't make it up. 
out to places like WinterCon and, and Anaheim because I live in, in Biloxi. But there's there's a few cons coming up that we're going to hit a few here in, in, uh, in Mississippi. And uh, we're going to be at MegaCon this year, nice. which is exciting. Yeah, because I miss Pensacon. Um, I had a recent family troubles, so I had to I had to miss that and go to MegaCon. So let's talk about let's talk about why we came to talk about stuff. Hard to spell, man. The Cthulhu anthology that's had so much success on uh, on Kickstarter lately. Uh, you want to tell us a little bit about that? Sure. So Cthulhu is hard to spell is a three volume anthology series. Each volume uh, has somewhere between. 34 and 38 stories in it and is somewhere between 160 and 180 pages, depending on which book you pick up. Uh, we've done two volumes before, and this is the third and final volume that I'll be editing um, before I step away from the series to focus on other things. So it's it's been a great experience. The, the, the kind of hook of the series is this, as it focuses on the gods themselves, um, the, the uh, Lovecraft canon is very light on discussing and talking about and featuring gods, the actual gods themselves. So we uh, we don't only focus on horror. We focus on uh, sci-fi, on uh, sci-fi, fantasy, also humor, uh, funny stories, silly stories, scary stories. But uh, they they all kind of revolve around uh, the life. Uh, in times of the Lovecraftian gods themselves, uh, which gives us, I think, uh, a pretty unique uh, standing point inside the Cthulhu mythos. And it's such a such a large project, and it's such a large like it's a large subject matter to tackle. Is that one of the reasons why you decided to make this an anthology and invite other collaborators in? Could you imagine this being something that you would have been able to do yourself? Well, most of my books are very niche and small. And uh, when we did the, our first anthology, Monsters and Other Scary Shit, it was about uh, hanging out with friends and other collaborators and uh, and making something cool. And as a writer, uh, I don't have a chance to work with many other writers. Um, and when you're making comics, you have very little chance to work with people outside of that group. You're probably making one comic at a time if it's indie. Sometimes you're working with uh, when you're doing like an anthology project or you're uh, you're working on other people's IP. Uh, obviously, that 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 gets wider. But um, when I first started, no one was hiring me for other people's IP. So I figured I'd be working about about one book a year, which meant uh, I could work with. 20 artists in my career, maybe 40 artists in my career, if I didn't work with anyone else. And like, I would work with zero other writers. So I wanted to expand that out and have somewhere that like, I could build a community, I could, uh, I could, uh, I could, I could hang out with other writers that I respected, I could work with teams of people who, uh, who I loved and respected. And so when we did the first uh, monsters anthology that was the, the 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 idea of i wanted a to, like a group dynamic uh so that i could like build the community and really it was to hang out with my friends and i i was like we might make a I'm, we all might make a little money on this but like we'll have a good time and ended up blowing up um and then the book came in and people had a lot to say about it um good bad indifferent but they had they had a lot of thoughts, and so um, it seemed seemed right when I got a list of all of the things. I was like, oh, I can 
very easily do all of this stuff not in this book but like one of them was the theme was all over the place like it was monsters they wanted something a little bit more like contained to a universe so monsters right. became lovecraftian monsters um one of them was uh the book is bloody and kind of like adult um in some of its themes and so they were like can you make something that is kid friendly so i said i mean it would not take that much to, to, to take out the blood uh the cursing and like the violence and and make it a, an anthology that was very was still could explore the themes of lovecraft but could do so in a way that like wouldn't turn off uh turn off uh, uh parents reading it to their kids uh because right. the the main thing was we wanted to make something that was that was uh that, that, that people could use to indoctrinate new people into Lovecraft. That was like the dictum that people said over and over and over and over again to us. We want something that we can use to, um, to, uh, to, to show our kids, et cetera, about the, uh, the, 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 the greatness of Lovecraft. And he has a very high barrier to entry. So there's definitely, um, I mean, there's definitely a, a way to do it probably to, to do it myself, but like, I already have a very Lovecraftian book in Ichabod Jones, Monster Hunter. So, um, if you wanted to, if you want to see my take on sort of what I would, what, what Lovecraftian book would look like, like you can already pick up that book. This was always about the, uh, the collaboration of the community. That's awesome, man. And, and, and out of that spawned a love of something that people didn't know that they wanted which was kind of like the la the the match that lit the uh that lit the fire for the other two that you're now ending on, on like a third one do you guys plan on doing like a collected omnibus later on it, so the the book I've, I've been thinking about this a lot so um my answer is i'm not quite sure i would love to do an omnibus of the whole collection um i would love to do a slip case of the whole collection at some point um the uh the i mean the the book has three parts the series has three parts so we we i conceived it as um uh as the first one is the the lovecraftian gods uh uh, uh planning an invasion the second one was invading and the third one was uh the mythological gods and humanity rising up to take uh to try and take back their universe so it's do I do do I just lay it out in the way that I laid it out? Um, even if there's a lot of like overlap with creators doing uh, like multiple stories and multiple books, do I like make a best of collection um, with a whole new like thing? Um, but I definitely, I definitely want to do something that will uh, will will collect it all together. But I mean, the tr the, the truth is that like it's been it's been five years that I've been working on this project and. I have been most of the time that you're editing an anthology series is spent uh, just trying to survive to the next day and get pages in. So right. now, so the the campaign ends on uh, on the sixth, the seventh, uh, a couple days, and it'll be my first time in about five years that I've been able to exhale and like think of what's next. But I have a lot of ideas based on what fans have told told me to do an omnibus, do an omnibus collection, do a slipcase collection, uh, do a leather bound collection, you know, do some things that are really cool to, uh, to explore the whole universe. But first we got to get these books into people's hands. I think before we can think about like, what do we do down the road? 
Right, right. It's always it's always something to consider, though. Um, when when I was talking to Leanne and Abby about it, uh, one of the things we discussed was all the different types of short stories and and uh, how the community was built and how all these stories come together to meet one narrative uh, theme, which you which you described um, from book one. It was kind of about the gods and the evasion, and then kind of like it's almost built like an, a three act a three act story. And so I just. I was curious to know because you have, you you would have to think that first of all that would be a huge omnibus. So what printer would be able to stitch all that together in one piece? But it it's from a retailer's perspective that seems like something that that people would would bite onto later on. Yeah, we and we haven't brought the, except for retailers who bought during the campaigns. Like we have not done, reached out to any retailers. We've done all direct sales. So oh, one wow. of the things that we want to do. Um, in the future is like bring this into how we bring it to retailers, whether it's in like single issue collections or whether it's in short, like it, has, it would have to be shorter. Like I think there would have to be probably six or seven collections to be about a hundred pages to make it palatable to retailers to like, right. to, 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 and to make it cheap enough that we could actually make it, uh, uh, make it without it being uh, 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 too onerously expensive. You know, there's yeah. a price point of $9.99 to $14.99. And right now there's like not at all, that's not at all with the prices for these uh, special editions. So we're looking at, partnering with other publishers or making the issue smaller or finding a finding a way to work with our retail partners to release this in a way that works for them you know i i think that probably an omnibus is the worst thing that you can do because it would then be very very expensive um I, i'm thinking about a, an omnibus collection for collectors but like probably if you're thinking about retailers and uh and and the direct market right. or you you it's going to take something that is considerably cheaper than the thirty to forty dollars that our books are, or the sixty to eighty dollars that a hardcover omnibus would be. Right. No, you're so right, and and that's true uh, from a from a from a buyer's perspective who goes to retail stores very often looking for deals. I like that. I like that some of the arcs in a different throughout various publishers break their stories down into soft soft cover uh, volumes instead of selling it outright as an omnibus, because, you know, sometimes I don't have the $75 to buy like a whole arc that they've spent in the last 10 years writing. So I, I collect volume one and volume two. It's almost like a savings account type deal. Um, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. For the person who can afford it. So they still get the content and it's the best price for the value, even though that they have to buy more volumes, which I, which ends up being more expensive in the long run. Um, it's a bit better than out of pocket for something that's super gaudy and super heavy. Well, and you get that dopamine hit, right? You get that dopamine. Yeah. Part of what you're paying for uh, when you go to a store, right, and you get your pulls is like the dopamine hit. So, like, you get the you you get it more often if you have six, seven times. So you are paying a little bit more. Um, but I think I've talked to a lot of retailers, and they're just like a hardcover from like an unknown, a relatively unknown publishing company is like a very hard sell you need to figure out a way to get this to at least the first volume to ten dollars and i was like i just need to survive currently my goal <laughs> is like survive from one book to the next because they're very expensive collections to put together right. so like i but I, I i do hear them like and i i don't disagree like there's there there's a market for the the big books but you see with people like scout comics 
uh, and others are doing where they're like having a lot of success in the direct market, like, and then, then they're having a lot of success in their Kickstarters after the, when they, when they expand out from the direct market right. to, uh, because they, they now have that like three to $5 price point. They have that 10 to $15 price point. Like it's just, they can get a whole bunch of people who say, oh, I've never checked this out, but I really want it. And some of those people are going to keep buying it in the single edition, single uh, uh, floppy editions or the collected editions. But then some people are going to become those super fans who want the whole thing. And I think you really need to have a plan for the whole uh, the whole collection. I, I call mine the Brandon Sanderson, even though he started way after me, which is like he does his Kickstarters. For, he just did this Kickstarter for $41 million. And all he gave you was uh, the option for like a definitive special edition hardcover and then you can sell off a lot of rights from there so i'd have uh, uh you know i basically can give can can either uh bring come out in retailers with uh with a uh, with like single issues or work with a partner to do that but my uh my goal was in getting this series done and not piecemealing it to, to retailers either so like i wanted right. to show when i came out with this series that like, it's all done. Like there's no, especially for a, a very small publisher that is unknown in the direct market level. Like the, the it's 500 pages. Like it just needs to have a, like a cover put on it. And like, you will have it like the beginning, middle and end is done. And uh, submitting the diamond several years ago taught me that like the biggest impediment to people buying the book and collecting and, and 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 getting involved is like they worry that it's not going to finish from a small retailer so yeah. from a small publisher so between this and Ichabod uh I, I I literally have kept it out of the direct market and 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 out of soft cover and out of single issue because I wanted to make sure that when we came to single issue that that it wasn't tainted on the direct market uh and then I wasn't cannibalizing their sales either Right. Right. So, so what you're saying is that in, to, to go to the level beyond crowdfunding and direct market, um, it, it's best to build that trust and loyalty with retailers and people, especially submitting to Diamond, that you have something that's a finished, like from beginning to end story. Uh, well, Diamond has changed a lot in the seven yeah. years or so since I, since well, they I started. They have competition. <laughs> they have competition and they're probably they're great they, they seem to be a lot more open than when i submitted to them but they're when i talked to them they were like you'd be lucky to sell 300 copies of this book uh because like you're nobody and uh i was oh, wow. i mean i didn't dis i didn't disagree with them but like it was pretty harsh to hear back then i definitely <laughs> disagree with them now what i'm saying is you want people to have the least option for a no Okay. And you want yeah. to have the most options for them to get, have entry points into your universe. So um, you and you don't want you don't want to call retail and be like, hey, I had like the floppy come out like three years ago and I know you carried it. And like now we have two more issues and we're working on the third issue, the, the, the fourth issue. And all of those things can taint the experience with retailers. I'm not saying that they will because lots of books uh, 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 come out in single issue on Kickstarter or at shows and then do very well at stores. But I do think that when, for me, when I say I have 16 issues of Ichabod Jones Monster Hunter that we'll be able to go out with next year, like 
that is enough to make a significant investment on, right? Like most people right. are trying to think of the direct market or 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 any market as like one book, like as 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 as, as, as I have one book or one issue, and like that's not. It was, so if you sell that book, even at five dollars, and you take they, you take a forty percent cut of that because that's what Diamond takes. Plus you have to pay for shipping. You know you're talking about pennies an issue, but if you're if you have a, a, a several ways into that market, if you have single issues, if you have trades, if you have hard covers, especially if you can like somehow break even on the book uh, before you're bringing it to retailers, then like if you're making that six, if you're making that 50 cents or a dollar 16 times over, you now can make like maybe even $20 on the, on that same, on that same retailer sale as long assuming they buy all, uh, all the additions. And that's just, it's a lot easier to invest a, uh, a market when you can make more money from it. So the same thing with it that I find with Ichabod now, like Ichabod was a pro project that didn't have a lot of uh, success. Uh, even when we brought it to Kickstarter the first time when we were at shows, it took a long time for Ichabod to find success. And frankly, the only reason it did was because other books paid for it to continue to exist. Like if Katrina wasn't there making money, Ichabod would not have had the, the runway that it did. And if we had a ton of books out like we do now, Ichabod would not have had the runway that it did. It only had the ability to continue on the table because I only had like two books. I needed Ichabod. And when we went to hardcover, uh, like it made sense to bring Ichabod back because we just didn't have anything else. So it was able to live for a long time on a table uh, uh, and, 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 and through our other campaigns. Uh, but and, and, and until it gathered an audience and now, you know, now it's our heavy hitter. Now it's one of our heavy hitters. It and, uh, it and, uh, Ichabod and Cthulhu are our two heavy hitters on our table because now we have three volumes of Ichabod instead of making $20 for one sale. I'm making 40, uh, 30 to you know, 30 to 40 dollars on one hardcover sale, and I'm able to do that three times. So when someone buys one volume of Ichabod, you uh, you know you could get you could you could expect maybe making 120 dollars on them. That allows you to like invest a lot more than you did like when you only had one issue. And the same thing we see with the the, the Cthulhu campaign. Our first Cthulhu campaign raised thirty nine thousand dollars. Uh, from a thousand backers. Well, this one only has 650 backers, but we've raised 30, almost $37,000 from those, yeah. from, from much fewer backers. So now you can take that and say, wow, like if someone buys this book, that's a hundred to $120 that we're getting. Uh, 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 so, so anyway, uh, that's just my, my way of saying like the more you, especially when you're making like 30 to 50, maybe a dollar per book when you're doing single issues or a couple bucks at trade, like the more you have to, 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 to promote, the more, um, the more, uh, you can invest in, 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 in the retailer outreach that is necessary to build the brand. That is awesome advice that I was not expecting to get. So thank you so much for that insight, man. That's, that's amazing. And Absolutely. so, so, so the lesson here is don't give up on the story because the more you do the story, the more you could fit it to, to not just market it as a retail um, asset, but also the more that it pays you back in the end game. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, the, and the other thing is like 
Ichabod always made sales. You know, like a book, The like I didn't right. just keep doing, going with the book that like I wanted to make. Like it made sales. It had a, and most importantly, it had a rabid audience. It did not have a big audience. Right. Like Ichabod was never a bestseller, but it was the one that people would come back to the table to talk about. Like people would be like, I love Katrina, but Ichabod, like, what is the deal with this guy? <laughs> like, is it a, and like, we would have at the table, five, 10 minute conversations about this book. That was not selling very well, but when it sold, like it predicted basically whether someone was going to be a fan of our work for life. And so like it had its place um, and and it always sold. So like, I think one, one, uh, the I, I agree with what you said, but the one flaw uh, in it uh, is that often people are like, oh, I'm just going to make the book that I want to make. And then like it does four sales gotcha. and then it do the second volume and it has 10 sales. Like I had growth. I'm like, yeah, but like, that's not sustainable growth. You can't sell 14 issues of two of a, of a book. So you have to have sort of uh, events that prove that your book has viability, even in a very small market to keep going. And some, and I, I, the flip side of that is like, maybe your book is not a book that you sell. Like people are so uh obsessed with selling and monetizing every book they've ever made but like sometimes like your first book your eighth sometimes your eighth book you know sometimes your 12th book is like not very good and because you don't get it like you don't you don't like uh, i was talking to my friend about this and like and uh and creating becoming a creator is like learning magic first the first step is like you're doing the card tricks and you're just you're just you're, you're watching stuff and like you're like how does that happen i don't understand it's magic like, i don't get it and then the second phase is you go oh okay so like i, I bought a book of magic and now i'm learning the tricks you're like you're still fumbling with it you're still fumbling with it you may know a couple of small tricks but like you can't string a thing you can't string an, a um a uh a a, a a a show together right. and then you kind of like you, you, you get a groove and you start doing like open mics or like whatever they do in magic. And, then, and so you are, uh, and, and you're like, people like boo, boo. And sometimes, and then, but then they're like, yeah, that one, I really like that, that trick. And you start getting enough of those together that you understand what, like what, it, what the feel, you understand the feeling inside of right. you and inside of them that makes something work. And it all kind of comes together in like these, like 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 mo like weird like flashes of light that don't that seem disparate and then suddenly it all comes together and you've got a show and you understand it and then you master it but and then, and then suddenly you can like do it uh, 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 like snapping your fingers and then the final piece of that is like you become magic like you inside of you just right. like you you're able to perform this thing for other people where like you're you you make books like you make these things and like they invoke feelings like literally from just inside of you you're not you're no longer a practitioner you're no longer a um you're no longer learning like you just innately understand what it means to create something that impacts people and like that is when you become magic and so the the the, the you might make a book that has zero sales. And like, if you do a bunch of conventions and you're doing your pitch and the pitch is getting better and people are still not buying, like there's no shame in not continuing that book. 
Like there's no right. shame in not continuing anything. There's no shame in just get, making a book and being like, hey, will you read this book for free? Because <laughs> a huge part of the beginning of your career is making stuff that sucks. And yeah. the only way to make stuff that's good is to make stuff that sucks. And you have to be willing to make stuff that sucks and then doesn't sell uh, so that you can get to a place that you are making things. And it's it, and you shouldn't be discouraged if something doesn't sell. You should just say, okay, they didn't like this idea. My next idea is going to be better. And then the one after that's going to be better. And the one after that's going to be better. And then you, eventually you'll get to a place that you look back on your first work and are like, oh, I totally get why no one bought this thing. Like, it's not good at all. Like, it violates all of these things and not in a good way. <laughs> But then by that time, you've, you've been able to, you know it then. So yes, uh, absolutely 100% agree with you. Uh, just with that caveat of just yeah. because you're you're like banging your head against the wall doesn't mean you should keep banging your head against the wall uh, 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 for the same project. It may be time to move <laughs> on to the next thing. Right. That's what Albert Einstein said. If you do the same thing over and over, it's by definition <laughs> insanity. <laughs> yeah, but the funny thing is like, uh, that 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 sometimes that but that's also the basis of business like doing right. ma making the same book like Ichabod over and over again is like what has been my success but it's also would have been my downfall so like there's like a razor edge that you have to walk and people want the secret they want the like how do I know and it's like you just have to keep do the truth is and I used to consider this a jerk off answer so I'm sorry if you and your listeners do too but like you will like you learn what works for you like right. you over time you learn this is what my audience wants it's not going to be the same for your audience it's not going to be right. the same for your audience but people that respond to me like this thing that i do and then it's about saying okay so ichabod is like a very niche book but how do i imbue that magic into a little more mar more more marketable book and then when you have the god's verse chronicles and then it's like okay the god's verse chronicles is much less niche than ichabod um but it's still pretty niche how do i kind of get the like, like get people in and we do the this book called the obsidian spindle saga and the books are like the wicked witch the sleeping beauty the red rider the uh, the, the fairy queen it's about like fairy it's like very much like oh the sleeping beauty i know what that is even if i don't know who russell is or cthulhu is hard to spell you make a little thing a little more mainstream and suddenly you're able to sort of gather the people who are right for you and bring them into you your more um your your more niche books that you right. made that maybe have a higher stick rate yeah, and it's all about the journey of synchronicity, right? Um, I mean, just it's basically how you described it, but to sum it all up, it's it's the journey of synchronicity. It's finding that that energy to attune you to the audience that you're meant to sell to, if that makes any sense. Absolutely. It's and and knowing what it what you what your barometer of good is and what right. and like because at the end of the day, like you're a curator. Right. Like part of what you're curating is your own work to them, but you're also <laughs> curating other things to them. Like I'm in a book called Cthulhu um, Invades Wonderland right now that's on Kickstarter, uh, which is like very on brand. A, Portal Fantasy is our brand, is my brand. Mostly, most of my book, most everything that I've ever made is Portal Fantasy. And then like Cthulhu is also my brand. Alice 
uh, is like my favorite literary character of all time. I also did his book, um, Cthulhu Invades Oz. And Dorothy right. is my other favorite literary character of all time. So like, it's about finding those moments of synchronicity and oftentimes like saying, I don't know if this is synchronous. I'll, I'm going to try it. Because one thing that we have now is this, uh, this idea that like, if I don't make money on literally everything I ever do, then like the whole, my whole career is worthless. But one right. thing that I really appreciated about like the seventies and, 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 and eighties uh, in making, especially independent film was people would go, I don't know if this is going to work. Like I'm going to try it. Like maybe I'll right. get a huge connection over here. Maybe yeah. I won't, maybe I'll find that this doesn't work. And yeah. you have to stay within your means. Like, I'm not saying go and spend five, $5 million doing some like totally <laughs> crazy thing. But, you know, if you have an anthology that uh, idea that, that that you think might work, uh, like go for it. I mean, Travis Gibb, who did the, uh, the Wonderland anthology, his books were very much like he did four, uh, broke down in four dead bodies, which is like a crime book. It's yeah. very outside of the wheelhouse of things that he thought would work. And like, and yet, you know, it's his most successful uh, uh, series of all time. Yeah. So it's not much else right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like it's and it's a great book. Like it's good. To, it's great. And sometimes you'll find that like I I did a book uh called Becoming um with Anushi Press and it's a we did a very slice of life uh story about uh about not uh, forgetting that right now is uh, like like the the best time in your life is right now and you should appreciate it. So like that's very different than my other work but i was like you know i really have a story to tell and like it's very like i know an artist who i think would be great for this it's only four pages like and i submitted and we got in and so is that going to lead to a lot of new fans of ichabod no but it satiates a thing inside of me which is like i like telling stories in other genres and i can't do right. it very often so i i'm i'm very happy when i can do those things and again, just making sure that you're synchronous with yourself and you understand like, wow, this is a very niche book. Like I cannot put that many resources into this book, but I want to make it. And like, there's nothing wrong with that either. You just have to be very realistic when you bring it to market and you're like, why did that book ever se only sell a hundred copies? Well, like there was, it was about goat herders in like uh, uh, Uganda and like who like who like are lactose intolerant like th that's the market for it. There's only a hundred people that are like that. So right. like you have to be, you have to either be like I'm making it for just those hundred people, or I'm using this as it as a way to connect with this larger group of people. But you 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 have to know kind of on some level what you expect the market to be before you set out on the journey of making a thing. Because then you won't, then if you get make more than if there's bigger audience than that, awesome. I never thought we'd be at selling 7,000 or so copies of Ichabod. Um, but uh, 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 if, if we only sold 50, I'd have been, I'd have been really screwed because like I would probably not have a career because of how much money we put into that book at the forefront. Right. In a tank, but, but you'll never know if you'd, you'd have tried and you, and you tried and you swung it out the park. Yeah. which is the whole point. And sometimes you don't do it for money. Sometimes you do it for you. Cause sometimes there's just this feeling inside you as a creator. You just have to know, you have to find out. It's that point. It's that point in the movie or like a perfect example, episode seven, the first season of, uh, of, uh, Dr. Who. 
uh, for that blonde haired chick to come with him on the TARDIS and explore the universe. Like, it was that singularity moment for her where she was like, do I stay here and play out, you know, the fallout of an alien invasion and live my life as normal and miserable like I used to? Or do I take a chance that I might die somewhere out in the universe, but I would have gotten to see the universe? Sometimes yeah, absolutely. it's the payoff that you have to give yourself, not not necessarily the payoff that comes with being successful. Successful, yeah, I think, think it's it's too contrived. I think I think for creators a lot of the times, uh, success for us is the validation and the public and the public uh, the court of public opinion that's more rewarding than the profit that we get from them investing in our creation. Yeah, I mean, I'm constantly in awe of people who are way more successful than me that uh that like say they envy the fact that i can do whatever i want and like i just have built a more robust fan base like the money is not what like my seven figure high six figure friends make but like they're like we're locked into doing these like romance or thriller or whatever the books that they're making like we can't really branch out of that and one of the things that was more most important for me with my career was like i need super fans like i need people who are going to like buy the books right. regardless of what they are because like I don't love I don't like being in in one genre and part of what I wanted to create was like okay I'm kind of done with that like I want to be over here now but I've always had a very good sense of I'm going to make this and like here is the market size for it not and like I I had I had to go to conventions because Ichabod and Cthulhu are like just very good convention sellers Katrina was more I was a much better like mass market seller but I went places where where like those markets were and gathered and I spent five like the first four or five years of my career going to these places away from my wife away from my dogs and away from like I I, I gave away so many weekends to be at these events where right. like I could find those right people and that to me was more important than writing in a genre that was hot and then being able to make more money at the four. I still, to this day, go into go into books and say, well, if I'm going to do this book, this series, like I I'm going to give myself the ability to do it, but I'm only going to give myself the ability to do one and then we'll see how it goes. And like really be very cautious about how, about what money that I was putting into something that was off a genre that I already knew. Like when we started reading 40 novels now, but like, I think I was pretty, pretty, I'm pretty um, contained in my, in how I went about it be, specifically because I, I needed more time to gather a novel audience as opposed to comics. Like if a comic comes along, that's really cool. I'm like, yes, I'll, I'll write that. I'll do that comic because like my audience is just way bigger and more rabid in the comic space. So right. it's not that you can't do, but I mean, my audience still in comics is pretty niche. Like I'm not making the like mass market books. Like I'm not making the books that like Jim Zub makes or uh, uh, I'm making books that like I want to make. Uh, so I know that I have to be very, very judicious with my money because there is a finite number of people to buy it. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't make it. Uh, that doesn't even mean you shouldn't make it if you there's no audience for it. The book I'm writing now is like a rambling essay on like what it means to be alive and to skirt death and to your time to the universe to be over. And I'm like, ain't no one going to buy that book for me. Or very few people are going to buy that book for me, but like I still want to make it. And so I'm going to make it and it's just going to be a thing for me and the people that resonate on my wavelength. And luckily, I have kind of like a floor 
of people, I'll probably make a couple thousand dollars on that book. But like, I have no, uh, I, I have no delusions that that's going to be the one that breaks me out because it's just, it's probably not like, it's probably, it's going to be so niche that people are going to appreciate it who love my work, but like, they're not going to find it on their own. Right. Right. So true, man. I got a, uh, I got a quick ad. I got to do real fast and then we'll get back to it. This is sponsored by Ink Solutions Studios. Um, it's a marketing company that helps market creators and, and, and comic book makers and filmmakers and people who have novels um, like Brandon Satterson. Uh, probably not as much as in sales, but um, this next comic, The Imaginary Voyages of Edgar Allan Poe, it's coming to Kickstarter soon by Hocus Pocus Comics. The creative team of Hocus Pocus Comics literature reimagined with the firepower of former DC Comics and image creator Dwight L. McPherson. And Ink Studios LLC brings you the book three, The Imaginary Voyages of Edgar Allan Poe, the anthology. The year is 1849. Edgar Allan Poe has lost everyone he ever loved, and now he is losing his mind. Haunted by his wife's ghosts and his literary failures, the poet withdraws into a fantastical world of mythological gods and monsters inside his featured mind. Coming to Kickstarter soon. Brought to you by, again, Hocus Pocus Comics. So, what a big shout out for, for Ink Studios for help making this podcast possible. And uh, thank you again, Russell, for coming on to the show. Um, so let's move on to a topic that I, I really wanted to pick your brain about, and I really wanted to do it on the podcast. I'm sorry I didn't tell you before, but anthologies are so fascinating to me man it is it is a type of writing that i see is really good and elegantly uh really valuable to independent creators not just not and it has nothing to do with financial gain at all in fact i, I think that anthologies are, are more about community and exposure and visibility and uh, and learning than they are about anything which is why i find them so fascinating what is it like what is it like because you said you're editing this last book. That is like ridiculously more work than a single editor. I, I would be thinking more like this is on the level of group editor, like DC or Marvel, where they're editing four or five different books at one time. Or, or usually when they get group editor, they edit, you know, one specific uh, character for that. Like, like if you were the group editor of Batman at DC, you'd be editing nothing but all the Batman stuff that comes through, right? So 160 something plus pages in an anthology and you're working with a numerous amount of people. What is that like as an editor to get pages in? Does that increase the workload exponentially? I mean, is there crunch time periods? Are there any yeah. types of fallouts? Like what is the synergy behind a role like that as an organizer of a huge anthology like Hard to Spell? Well, I'm very, very excited. I'm very happy to have Chris, my co-editor for this that I brought in uh, the second volume, this series would not exist without her um both because she just keeps me sane as like and grounded but also because she she shares the workload and i think that you really need at least two editors on an anthology now that i've done both myself for two and with with another editor for two um and that person should have a very diversified background than you so chris used to work at image she was a uh uh she was the um editorial director uh, for summoner's war and she just, she has this eye that's very different than me, which is like very indie. And she knows that she's the one who got Paul Jenkins and Ray Anthony Haidt and Trina Robbins on the book. Um, and she's the one that like validated the methodology that I had because she had come from comics. And so I, I was, I kind of was figuring out on my own. 
and uh, with working with the editors that I had worked with who also came from indie comics. So to have her come in and be like, no, this process is tight. It like makes, it makes sense. She had some tweaks, some tweaks to our language that we were using. Um, but she like really, she really uh, uh, helped solidify it and, and make it a more, much more professional brand than we had been going on before. And I appreciate her immensely for that. And she, and uh, so our, there are, there are a couple of, of really, uh, uh, tight bottlenecks. The first is submission period. So our submission period is usually about a month with uh, most of the submissions coming at the end. So we end up doing a lot of promotion to different Facebook groups and, uh, and our mailing list and just social media, trying to get, uh, trying to get as many submissions as possible. We don't get as many as most. Um, we only get like 100, maybe 80 to 100 submissions because we require you to have your, 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 your your team together and to have a pretty tight pitch. Like I am looking for people that really know, really have their stuff together. Like I'm not so interested in like connecting art author artists with writers or things like that. I figure if you can't come up with an art uh, with a, with a, with one artist or one writer, like it's going to be hard for you to have the experience necessary to put a story together at the level of quality that we expect. It's not always the case. Like I have made exceptions in the past, um, but it's not one. I, I know a lot of my friends have opened that have open submissions. Um, they like just need a pitch and they'll, they'll pair you together. Uh, I'm not that editor. I don't have that ability. I have the ability to like take the people that we have and make the most of it. Um, meanwhile, we're also going out and invite to, to, and inviting specific creators. Like we will, we, I send dozens, maybe hundreds of direct messages to people, to, to specific creators that I want to work with, especially with this last one. I was like, this is the last anthology. Please like submit if you have ever wanted to work with me. Cause I don't know if I'm ever going to do an anthology again, cause I'm not an editor. I'm a creator. Uh, right. This is kind of something that I fell into. So that is bottleneck number one. Bottleneck number two happens um, uh, 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 after we have done the submission and culling process and we see where we are and actually uh, going out and getting all the contracts signed because they can't start the book until they sign the contract. And so there's, they are, we spend a lot of time like the contracts are due, the contracts are due, the contracts are due, the contracts are due, people not signing contracts, people falling out of the contract period, people being laggards in the contract period. Um, and that usually takes a month or two to get together all the contracts so that we have a book. And I don't really start giving any of the deadlines or anything until like people are through their contracts because I don't want them work. People ask me all the time, can I work on the pages uh, before, like, can I give you, and I say, I don't want you doing any of that stuff because until uh, you sign the contract, even if like you can, um, I made a couple of exceptions that for people who were like sick and I, uh, I always regretted it in the, in, in, in at, 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 at the end of the day, I always felt like I was, um, always felt like I was being, I was, I was, I was, I was not giving everyone a short, a, a, a fair shot because I, I I had to accept these people. Now those people were great, ended up being great and I love their stories, but it was um they're like they're like I don't I I found that I was not fair to the whole people to accept people early. Um I, I would have accepted all of those stories even otherwise, but 
Um, I just didn't feel right about it. So I, I asked people to not do anything until they have been contracted and actually signed the contract. Um, and then, then we have a lot of loose, de loose deadlines, which is uh, about once a month, we ask you to, to do, we have like a, a deadline for sketches, scripts, uh, scripts, sketches, inks, colors, and then the final deadline. And we tell you that like, you do not have to submit to any of those. But if you miss even one of those deadlines, you 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 uh you do not qualify for your kill fee. A kill fee is if we don't like the story and we um and we um and we we we've cut it from the anthology after contracting. So for instance, let's say you get fifty dollars a page for a completed story, you'll get twenty dollars a page as a kill fee. If we say if we don't because like we feel like if we are helping you along and it doesn't get there then that is our fault it's not your fault right. but if you just submit pages without our input we're not going to pay you a kill fee if the pages are bad because you've not you didn't even you could have just drawn stick figures and like said here's our final thing like we want to be involved so like right. and we've never had to give a kill fee to anyone who who did follow those steps in the four anthologies that i've run i've never paid a kill fee for that for for uh uh, 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 if people follow the directions. So, um, those are pretty loose. Like we don't, we, we send an email that's like script deadline, but, and we post it in our Facebook group. Um, but then the next big one obviously is the, um, the final pages. And we are very tough on the final pages. If you are late, like, I don't care if you're like a day late, like you're not in the anthology. Like you have to wow. hit your deadline. And I think that's the, to me, that's the most important thing is that people know that you mean business when you have a deadline. We overcommit pages. So like 160 becomes, 160 may become 180 pages because we know that over the course of the, the, the campaign, the, 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 the process, people will drop out. So, um, so yeah, we, uh, that, that is, uh, that is tough. And uh, we make, we do again, uh, make some exceptions for like health and other reasons. Um, but generally we are very, very strict on our deadline. Like you have to have a really good reason. And it's because we have to give you six, eight months to do the book. Right. Unfortunately, what happens is 90% of creators don't start it until the month before it's due. Ooh. So like if something happens in that month, like that's a problem. Um, but, uh, 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 like it's not, it's, it's, I feel for that problem, but like, I give you a long time. I right. give you enough time that you can do one page a month for eight months and still get all of this stuff done. So, um, cause I know that like, this is not the best paid anthology in the world. Like you got other stuff to do. Like, but I also know like you made a commitment to do the pages. So like, I'm trying to, to, to fit like, a. Uh, like, like I'm trying to fit expectations with like intention right. at, at that point. But mainly, like I'm not an editor, like so I don't want to do editing. Like I don't want to be. I don't, I don't want to like uh, uh, wrangle you. Like I want to know that you're self-sufficient because I don't have the energy to wrangle you at any stage of this process. I have my own stuff to do. I've been dealing with failing health for like many, many years. Like I can only do what I can do, even right. with Chris, and also. You know, like Chris is not the best paid editor in the world in this book. Like, I think I can just, uh, uh, I can say that for absolutely sure. Like, so I want to make this easy for everyone involved 
to like do this book and have a good time on a very tight budget. And uh, so I give a lot of time to like uh, to, uh, to do that. And sometimes if like the editing goes, um, if like the biggest thing that we, we look at is like, okay, like we took two weeks to get back to you on this script, which is our bad. Like we didn't mean to, but like things fell through the cracks. So like, we're going to give you a little bit more time at the end if you need it, because like, that's on us, right? not on you. Um, and it's a lot of just expectation management and understanding that thing you said. I love that thing you said about like, it's being a connection and community because, um, People definitely don't do the anthologies for the money. They absolutely do not. They do it for a couple of reasons. They do it because uh, they they really want to work with that creative team um, and learn like with a process. So we got a lot of people who are in their first anthology or or they've been doing it a while, but they can't get to the next level. They do our anthology. They kind of like figure out the process that we have and then boom they're off to the races for the next uh for the next one and i've seen uh, uh, uh i've seen people do like huge numbers after being in our anthology uh they also do it for uh exposure um they do get paid for the anthology but a lot of creators have told me after the anthology like they were book solid with work commissions books uh, because of things that they found um they do it for the friendships that they make along the way uh, uh, I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm a huge advocate of Facebook groups and getting people to like mingle together throughout the course of the creation process, because right. like, that's the, that's like finding the tribe that you resonate with is like, that's gold. Like that's, that's invaluable. And I want to make sure I facilitate that piece of it because, um, that is what I think most people are getting out of it. Um, also just the chance to work with like a large group of people and be associated with names like Trina Robbins and Paul, you know, all the names that I mentioned before. Um, right. and, and, and then and many more just being like, wow, I'm in this anthology with like all these, like these, these like killer, uh, creators, like that's incredible. And it, it validates you on some level as a creator saying, you know, especially if you're kind of going in the, in like the trenches alone and maybe you're not making the money that you want or like you don't right. understand like being just just being like wow like these editors like thought my work was good enough to be alongside these like living legends uh, of, of 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 comics and I've been very blessed to work with some like legitimately living legends of comics in my um uh in my uh in in, in my experience both indie comics and traditionally published comics so uh yeah, I, I, I try, I, I try to always be encouraging and try to always be like, like the proud, proud father or leader of this pack. And like, I, sometimes you have to give tough love. Sometimes you have right. to say things people don't want to hear. I mean, you have to do it in a way that is like very kind and very, um, and very, um, uh, uh, um, and, 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 and very supportive. Uh, and just be like the cheerleader that that most people never get. Like most people don't have an editor when they do comics. Like most people have the artist, and oftentimes yeah. the artist is the, the the relationship that they have with the artist is like, here is script, and the artist goes, here is pages, and like that's what they have to work with. And so having someone who's a cheerleader who's saying, yes, you're doing a good job. Oh man, like this is really cool. But what if you did that? Like all of those pieces, like that's the editorial work that I take on outside of the anthology is the ability to do that kind of stuff. Because like, while I say I'm not an editor, like I do take editing clients on, like I do take things on that I like that I get excited about. And like, my goal is to say, man, this is really cool. Like, what if you did these four things though? Like, what if, 
what if like you, you, you added like a theme here that I know you're interested in and all of that stuff is like incredibly exciting to me. And I think incredibly exciting to creators too. And that's how you make, that's how you take all of those terrible parts of being an editor and like kind of flip them on their head and make it fun. But it is not always fun. Like nothing great is, is even the greatest job in the world is not always fun. It's a lot of hard work and it's right. a lot of like people, people not hating your expectations. Um, so it, so I, I'm, I'm very cautious and very, 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 uh, 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 proud of just everything that we've been able to accomplish with this book. It sounds like an amazing experience, man. And I'm so glad you got the, the chance to, to come on and, and grace us all with your wisdom, not just about marketing, man, but, but also about the camaraderie of, of, uh, of creatorship and the community of creatorship. It's very important. That's something that's uh, independent comics sets itself apart from from being in a, in a publisher setting where um, where it's very much the same thing, but it still very much exists outside the independent comic world, which is camaraderie, community, uh, assistantship and, and that tutelage and, and that that genuine grace of, of of sharing what you know with other people so that they can also. Uh, which is also very much a success of self-growth for for the person that you share that wisdom with. So I, I appreciate that and value that uh, so much. And I thank you again for for coming onto the podcast. Um, where can uh, where can they find any of your books, uh, like the Ichabod book, or um, you want to go ahead and give a shout out to the campaign, which has got a couple of days left on it. Sure. So uh, you can find all of my work at russellnolte.com. Or you can buy uh, Ichabod or any of our other books on the uh, Cthulhu is Hard to Spell Kickstarter campaign at CthulhuIsHardToSpell.com or looking up on Kickstarter. Even if you have no interest in Kickstarter, but you're like, man, I really like that Katrina Hates the Dead book. Like we have <laughs> tiers that like our $40 tier is you can pick any of our books. You can pick, most people will pick Battle Royale, but many people will not. And, uh, and you can pick Ichabod. Uh, if, if you want all three Ichabods, you can pick that tier. So you can find it on uh, on, on CthulhuIsHardToSpell.com or um, RussellNolte.com. Awesome, man. Awesome. Uh, thank you again so much for coming on to the show. Um, uh, for for those of you who want to check out more of the comics, you can go to ComicsNPop-Tarts.com. Uh, you sign up for the free newsletter, get a free comic book brought to you by Limitless Comics, uh, who I've had the pleasure of working with. Um, again, go to go to the Kickstarter. Hard to spell. It's like a couple days left on it. And for uh, more information about Ink Studios or any of the comics or comic projects that we're working on, or if you have a comic project that you that you feel like you need help with uh, getting out there on crowdfunding, you can go to inkpub.com. Uh, you can see our, our long list of, of projects and upcoming projects and stuff like that. So. Um, Final thoughts for the night, man, is is a phrase that I'm going to steal from one of my favorite uh, professional wrestlers who recently passed away, Scott Hall. Uh, dreams come true. Uh, bad times don't last, but bad guys do. Uh, just like Cthulhu, hard to spell. So thank you so much for coming on to the podcast, man. Uh, I can't thank you enough for uh, for taking the time with us tonight. Now, and, and you're welcome to come back anytime. Thanks for having me. Now, no problems. My name's Inevitable Mike. This is the Comics and Pop Tarts podcast channel. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe, share when you can.